Hey, everybody, welcome to the Addiction Unlimited podcast, where you get to learn everything you want to know about addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Angela Pugh, co-founder of Kansas City Recovery, life coach, and recovering alcoholic. To learn more about me, you can listen to episode zero on your podcast app or find us on the web at addictionunlimited.com. You've heard it before, right? Relapse is a part of recovery. So how do you actually avoid relapse? Hello, my friend, Angela Pugh here. Welcome to another episode of the Addiction Unlimited podcast. I'm super excited about this episode because it's all about relapse prevention. You probably already know this is a huge topic, and the truth is the vast majority of people relapse in their first year of sobriety. I've heard statistics that range anywhere from 85% of people relapse to as high as 95% of people. And I know through my own experiences and those of my clients that understanding relapse and having a plan in place to overcome it can dramatically change your life. What does that plan look like? How do you make a plan? We're going to get into some strategies and specifics today to help you get your head wrapped around where you want to focus in terms of your relapse prevention efforts. This episode is all things relapse prevention, not just because it's a huge topic, but because it's something we need to continually talk about to make sure you're putting your efforts in the right place and moving forward in your sober life. So tell me this, what are you currently doing or maybe not doing (laughs) to ensure that you avoid the dreaded relapse day in and day out? I bring this up now too, because we're transitioning into a new season, which brings new stressors and stress is the number one reason for relapse. So summer is wrapping up. It's back to school time. Whether you have kids going back to school or you're a student yourself or a teacher, you don't need me or anyone else for that matter to tell you how critical it is to have a crystal clear understanding of how to avoid relapse. Also with a simple but powerful plan to make you successful. I know you're thinking like, thank you, Captain Obvious. (laughs) You already know this. And by the same token, still about 85 to 95% of people are relapsing. Most people are still struggling to avoid relapse and build a true alcohol-free lifestyle in a smart and sustainable way. Maybe you've had some small successes from listening to podcasts or reading books and Maybe you've managed to stay sober for a few weeks or a month here and there, or maybe you had a bad night and really embarrassed yourself and you stopped for a few months or half a year just on sheer willpower and shame. All of that is good. It's getting you closer to where you want to be, but it's still a far cry from having a simple plan and being consistent in your sober efforts so that you build a sober lifestyle that you and your family can rely on. Trust me on that. That's why we need to have this exact conversation today. I want you to feel confident to double down on your strategy to avoid relapse with a plan you feel good about. 
it's personalized, it fits your life, it accommodates your family and what you need, and you feel really good about it. That's where I want you to be. So I want to get you fully up to speed on the three pillars of relapse prevention and the exact strategies for each of those pillars so that you can focus your time and energy only on what you really want to be working on, right? And you'll get the confidence you want to feel good in your life and not to feel like you're constantly looking over your shoulder, waiting for a relapse to take you down. Instead of going down the rabbit hole of anxiety and overwhelm, waiting for the other shoe to drop, I want you to feel confident and empowered. Alcohol can't pour itself down your throat. You have a lot of power in this situation. That's what this episode is all about. I think it's important too that you fully understand where you want to go with this. Before we get into any of the how-tos, we have to set a foundation so that you feel really up to speed in terms of what to do and what works and what you're excited about implementing in your own sober strategy. By the end of this episode, my hope is that you'll have a really good understanding as to where you've gone wrong in the past and where you need to put a little more effort and focus now to make your relapse prevention plan stronger than it's ever been. So let's get into these three pillars kind of of relapse prevention and These are like the three most crucial areas to focus on, and then we're going to dig into each one of them with some real strategies, right? What do you need to do in each of these? So number one is having strategies, right? You have to have specific strategies that can help you recognize and manage your triggers and cravings. Number two is a strong support system. Having a support system will significantly improve your sober efforts and your sober life all the way around. And the third one is lifestyle changes in self-care. Remember when I said a minute ago that stress is the number one reason people relapse. And stress can come from all different areas of your life. And my six-week program clients, the people that work with me privately, know we focus a ton on this part. We have to manage our stress. And again, there's a million different ways to do that. And it's different for each of us in our lives, right? That's why it's important to have a customized plan and know what works for you and how to build that plan for your life and how you do life day in and day out. So going back to number one, relapse prevention strategies, you have to actually have some strategies here. The first part is identifying your triggers. You have to recognize situations, people, places, feelings that are triggering for you. And a great way to do this is just start with a list. I also did an episode about triggers, specifically about triggers. And I'll link it in the show notes if you want to go back and listen to that one. There's probably more than one, but there's one that's really standing out to me. And I'll link that in the show notes for you. But make a list of your triggers, right? Maybe it is certain places. Maybe it's your drinking friends. 
listen, if your drinking friends are triggering to you, it doesn't mean that you can't be friends with them anymore or that they're bad people or that you think you're better than them, that you don't hang out with them anymore because you're not drinking. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means you have to be more mindful, right? I definitely had those people that I always drank with, that our relationship really was focused around drinking together. We didn't have deep friendships and deep conversations, except like those drunk conversations, which barely count because most of the time you or they don't remember it anyway, or parts of it. But those were triggering people for me because our whole involvement as friends revolved around drinking. And I want you to keep this in perspective too, because This is the same situation in a million other situations in your life, right? Meaning that just like when you have coworkers that you really enjoy and maybe you have lunch together every day, but the bulk of your conversation or your connection is around your workplace because you work together. So maybe a lot of your conversations really revolve around complaining about your job or who you don't like or talking about other coworkers, right? Like your friendship isn't the deep, like, this is the person you're going to call when the shit hits the fan kind of friendship. You have a friendship with that person because you work together. So maybe when you move on from that job or they move on from that job, maybe you don't really have that friendship anymore. You keep in touch for a little while. You send a text here and there. Hey, how you doing? How's everything going? But you don't have a deep-rooted, authentic friendship with that person, so it's not going to continue. It's the same thing with drinking. There's nothing wrong with moving on from relationships and friendships and situations because they don't serve you anymore, right? Or they don't fit in the new context of your life. But identifying what those triggering situations are for you, maybe it's family, maybe it's certain places that you hang out. Like I'm I'm definitely not going to my old drinking stomping grounds, right? <laughs> maybe it's the camping trip that you take every year with the same group of friends. But make a list of what those triggers are for you so you can start figuring out how to work around those things. The next thing in this strategies section is coping skills. You have to build a toolbox of healthy coping skills to manage your stress, anxiety, to manage your emotions, especially challenging emotions, to be able to manage all that stuff without going back to the substance. And coping skills, you've probably heard this before. A lot of people hear this. And it's really true that you stop maturing at whatever age you start drinking or using drugs regularly. And what happens is the rest of the world is growing up, right? The rest of the world are doing regular life things and they're dealing with disappointment, getting their feelings hurt, right? Being devastated by a breakup, Um, disappointment of not getting something you want, all of those situations and emotions that we go through in life, the rest of the world is out there going through those things and figuring out healthy ways to deal with it, right? Talking to friends, going to therapy, whatever the things are. For those of us that abuse substance, right? Our coping mechanism becomes the substance, So I drank through every feeling I had, whether it was happiness, sadness, 
boredom, anger, disappointment, insecurity, anxiety, whatever the feeling was, I turned to alcohol to numb it. So I never developed coping skills. And think about that list I just ran through and how many times a day you probably feel every one of those. If you don't have coping skills outside of substances, how are you going to get through day to day? So again, when the rest of the world was out there growing up, developing coping skills, (laughs) I was drinking my feelings away, right? So it's imperative that you start to learn how to cope with any kind of discomfort, especially. But we will drink equally quickly over happy things too, right? Our brains love to kick in and go, you deserve this. You worked hard all week. Look what you've been through. You deserve a reward. Sit down and have a cold drink, right? So we will drink over happy things too. Any feeling, any feeling is what you have to be aware of and have a healthy way to cope with it. Boredom is one that I hear always. People always, I'm bored. I'm bored. Sober life is boring. What am I going to do? How am I going to have fun? Boring is a choice. If you are bored, You are being boring, and that's a choice you're making. There are a million things to do. You just got to get up off your happy buns and find something to do. But that's what I'm saying, coping skills. You have to have healthy ways to cope with all the things and all the feelings. The next one is really having an actual relapse prevention plan. This is a strategy. You have to outline What steps are you going to take when you are in the midst of a trigger or a craving? Figure out what those things are. And I'm going to tell you this. You know, I always tell you this. Don't just think about it, right? You're listening to this. I know you're probably in the car or you're at the gym or cleaning the house and listening to this right now, and you're not in a position where you can take notes. But I want you to hear me when I say this. Don't just think about it and go, oh yeah, I've got it. Like you think about one or two things and you go, yeah, I've got this. I'm good. I want you to really take three minutes and sit down and write out pen to paper. What are some things you can do when you are triggered or in the midst of a craving? or in the midst of a feeling. (laughs) What are some things you can do? For me, a number one is always go to a meeting, especially if I'm really tied up in knots about something. If I have super high anxiety and I'm stressed out or I'm freaking out or I'm fearful of my future, financial insecurity, whatever the thing is, a number one for me is going to a meeting because those are my people. I cannot wait to get in the energy of other alcoholics where I can be myself and we can laugh and have fun and all of that anxiety and stress melts away. Always number one for me. Number two, if I can't get to a meeting, is to reach out to other sober friends. Like I've got to connect with people. I have to connect and again, get that warmth and welcoming feeling that I get from other addicted people. 
uh, find some things to do. You've heard me talk about distracting yourself 10 minutes at a time. That's what I did in my beginning, literally 10 minutes at a time. If my head was kicking in, driving me crazy, I would distract myself 10 minutes at a time, clean out a drawer, clean out a closet, take out the garbage, go clean out the garage. I mean, I don't care what you do. Take a walk, play with your dog, play with your kids, whatever the thing is, 10 minutes at a time. These are strategies. These are healthy coping skills, but take some time and write down what can you actually do when you are in the midst of feeling triggered or having a craving. Okay. The second pillar is building a strong support system. You guys, this is huge. I know you're probably tired of hearing me say it, but you have to have people in your corner period. Human beings are pack animals. We are created to do life together. We are connection-oriented beings. You have to have a support system. I don't care who it is. I'm not telling you you have to go to AA. I don't care where you go. I don't care who your support system is. You just have to have one. Maybe that's a professional person. Maybe it's a coach like me. Maybe it's a therapist or a counselor. Maybe it's your primary care doctor that you've gone to since you were a little kid. It also needs to be people that have some knowledge of addiction, right? If if I'm an alcoholic, I really need to connect with other people that understand what it feels like and what it means to be an alcoholic because my brain does function a little bit differently. My brain perceives life a little differently <laughs> than people with different brains, right? But having that regular connection, certainly with a professional person, can be a huge help. The next one, of course, is a support group, any kind of support group. There are tons of programs that aren't AA that you can engage in. There are tons of people just like me that have private communities with support groups that you can engage in. Whoever your favorite podcaster is that you really resonate with or somebody you saw on YouTube, see if they have a private arena with support groups that you can engage in. Being connected with peers who understand the challenges of recovery brings a great sense of belonging and accountability. We all function better when we have some accountability. The last one in the support system pillar is involving your family and friends. Really figure out a way to encourage some open communication with the people closest to you, right? Because family and friends play a pivotal role in giving you that emotional support and understanding and encouragement. Now, I didn't say every single friend and every single family member you have. Find the ones that can have some empathy, some patience, some understanding who really want the best for you. Don't worry about the ones that are going to say, oh, you don't really have a problem. You're not an alcoholic. You don't need to quit forever. Or, you know, maybe you can just quit for a little while. Those are not the people that are going to provide you the best support and get you where you want to be. So don't think about those people. I want you to find the two, maybe three people that are the right people that you can really be open and honest with about what's going on with you and how important this journey is to you. 
Okay, third pillar, lifestyle changes and self-care. Remember a little while ago when I said, I think twice, (laughs) that stress is the number one reason people relapse? And stress can mean a lot of things, which is why it's easy to say it's the number one reason, because stress can really be almost everything. Life is stressful. Every area of life is stressful. Jobs are stressful. Relationships are stressful. Kids are stressful. Finances are stressful. Everything is stressful and can trigger a lot of different feelings. You know, stress encompasses a lot of different emotions. But when you make this change and you're really shifting from being a drinking person or a pot smoking person, and this has been your lifestyle in your friend groups and your activities, you have to make changes, right? You have to adopt a new way of doing things that is healthy and fulfilling. And that means doing things differently. Think about your daily routine and how you can shift that. Think about all the different areas of your life, right? Like fighting stress includes some pretty simple things. Like routines are fantastic for keeping stress low. There are all kinds of activities you can do. Exercise, one of the best things you can do. Regular sleep is huge in managing stress and just an overall healthy lifestyle. Think about what you're eating, what you're putting in your body, right? If you're drinking 20 cups of coffee a day or energy drinks, whatever the thing is, like it's not rocket science to figure out those things aren't great for you. You know, think about really what you're feeding your body and how are you getting moving? Create some healthy routines that are going to support you in your new lifestyle. You can't just put down the drink or say, I'm not going to smoke pot anymore And don't make any changes, right? You can't sit in your old life and have new behavior. If you're adopting new behavior, you have to have a new lifestyle that supports that. And self-care is going to be a huge piece of this, right? Because you have to be doing things that make you feel good to keep your stress and anxiety levels low. You want to keep your stress and anxiety levels as low as humanly possible on a regular basis so that when you are triggered by something and you find yourself in a craving, your your anxiety naturally goes up in that situation. So if your baseline is lower, when it shoots up, it's not going to go so high. But if you're doing nothing to manage yourself on, you know, an hourly basis, not an hourly basis, but a few times a day, you need to do some things to bring your anxiety down. If your baseline is high and you get triggered, you're in a craving and it shoots sky high, that's a much harder situation to deal with. So you want to be doing some self-care things throughout your day to manage your anxiety and keep it lower. Another one in lifestyle and self-care is setting some goals. Like have some short-term goals. I think the earlier you are in your recovery journey, keep those goals short-term. Think about next week or the end of the month, right? 
the farther along you are in your recovery journey, you can get bigger, more long-term goals, but you don't want to think, you don't want to get too caught up in the future, right? Because that's what gives us anxiety. And we future trip. I can get all crazy thinking about the future and maybe this and what if that, and how will I make that happen? Or how will I do that? Or am I good enough? Am I smart enough? Right? Don't get too caught up long-term, but you can have a loose vision of where you want to be. You can sit back and think, wow, I can't wait to get to one year sober. It doesn't mean you got to figure out every single day what that's going to look like for the next 365 days. You just need to figure out today and maybe think a little bit about tomorrow. But you can have a loose vision of you want to get to one year sober. Does that make sense? But having some goals can give you a sense of purpose and you get that beautiful sense of accomplishment when you achieve the goal. And if you're doing this and you have a support system, which was pillar number two, having goals and a support system gives you that accountability and it helps you to maintain your focus and keep your motivation, right? Remember, motivation is not a constant thing. It comes and goes. So if I've got a support group and I've got some friends, when I feel crappy, I can reach out to those people. They can help reignite that motivation. The last one in this third pillar of lifestyle changes and self-care is addressing the underlying issues, right? And again, maybe that means therapy. For some people, that means medication. For some people, that means trauma work. There's a million ways that you can start addressing some underlying issues. The one thing I want to say is it is not a great idea to start digging into trauma when you are newly sober because you don't yet have coping skills. Okay. Almost everybody on the planet has some level of trauma. Like I didn't almost drink myself to death because shit was going well. You know, (laughs) like obviously there's some underlying trauma there, but I didn't start really digging into my trauma for years into my recovery, partially because I didn't really know about it and didn't understand it. But I had to really spend some time developing coping skills. And this is what I want you to think about. Certainly in your first year, anywhere in your first year of sobriety, what you're trying to do is avoid relapse. That is your number one goal. Avoid relapse and do whatever it takes to avoid relapse. The longer you avoid that relapse and you have good strategies in place and you're taking good solid actions to not relapse, the longer time you avoid relapse, the more confidence you get. The more you start to trust yourself and you start to see how much power you really have in this equation. Listen, alcohol is not going to chase you down the sidewalk and force itself down your throat. It just isn't. This is a series of choices that you make. You're either choosing to take the actions to not drink, or you're choosing to not do anything and go, huh, I hope I don't relapse. You don't hope. You take action. You decide you're not going to relapse. And then you take the necessary actions to make sure you don't relapse. But you have to have coping skills and develop coping skills to deal with the different situations, the different triggers, the different people that are going to be triggering to you, the different feelings you're going to experience on a daily basis. There's no way to avoid feelings. Feelings really aren't that big of a deal. We make them out to be a big deal because we don't like them and we drank our way through them for so long. They feel scary to us. 
But that's the whole point. You have to develop these coping skills to deal with all the feelings and situations and people and triggers. Once you have some good, solid coping skills and you feel really comfortable and confident in your sober life, in your relapse prevention plan, and you feel comfortable to get through big things, like you're going to be able to do that without drinking, that's when you can start thinking about digging a little deeper into some underlying issues. But you certainly can start addressing some of the more surface level things, right? Which are our behaviors. We have tons of behaviors. In AA, we call them character defects. We have tons of behaviors that need correcting, right? Codependence, people pleasing, lying. There are all these things that we do, right? Being late, being selfish. Those are all underlying issues that you can start learning about and correcting anytime you want. But all these underlying things contribute to relapse, right? So addressing them is crucial. And remember, relapse is a common part of the recovery process for most people. I don't want you to feel bad about that or beat yourself up for that because it's not going to get you anywhere. Also understand, you've heard me say this a thousand times, relapse is feedback. When you relapse, it's just telling you that your plan isn't quite strong enough yet. There's somewhere that your plan is lacking. And these three pillars, everything we've outlined in this episode is a great place to start figuring out where you need to strengthen your plan. And that will make your future efforts even stronger. There are plenty of ways to get help and support But I really want you to take this seriously. If you're really making a commitment to not drink, then you take these things seriously and you will spend time. You will be intentional in spending time thinking about your plan, writing it down, and knowing what you're going to do. If I feel this, I'm going to call this person. If this happens, I'm going to go to X meeting. Like have an idea of what you're doing, how you're approaching your life and what's important to you to get through this stuff. Okay, my friends, thank you so much for being here with me. I am so grateful I get to share all of these recovery strategies with you. And I hope I will see you in our Facebook group where we get to have more discussion. And if you want me to go into even more detail with you, creating your personalized recovery strategy where I walk the walk with you. Schedule a call with me to see if we're a good fit. Okay, you guys have a wonderful morning, noon, or night, wherever you are in the world. I hope you're having a fantastic day and I'll see you next week. You've reached the end of another great episode of the Addiction Unlimited podcast, candid and honest conversation about addiction and recovery. Be sure to visit us at addictionunlimited.com to join the conversation and access show notes and links to everything we talked about. Love this episode? Please take 30 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes to help us improve and give you the information you want. Thanks for listening. See you next week.